story time. Each beloved guest of this podcast has answered the same question. What was the catalyst for your exit? Whether from an unhealthy church or a religious cult, the answers are all essentially the same. When they realized the truth, they could no longer live the lie. Something I wish I had asked as a follow-up question is, do you wish you had never realized the truth? I'd imagine a long pause, an extended period of silence that spoke loud and clear. I mean, kind of, because the aftermath has almost crushed me. But no, how could I say I'd want to return to living an unhealthy or even abusive lie? At least that would be my answer. I can't look back with longing, knowing what I know now. The losses can't quite tip the scale, making them more valuable. Because truth, freedom, and hope are invaluable. And they'll always win. For those of you who are wondering where you'd land, I hope this conversation between Lemon and myself is helpful to you. So this is a topic that has come up for me so many times in so many different ways, and it comes up in every conversation I have with someone, this idea of um, fear of investigating your faith. And this tends to present in two ways from what I've noticed. One, it comes up in relation to, okay, if I investigate my faith and I find out that like what if i'm looking to see if there is a god and i find out that there is no god and so that that's scary for people of course cuz they're like okay that would change my whole paradigm you know that changes my world view like what happens if i'm investigating and it's it's not actually holding up and i land on okay what i grew up to believe or what i've believed as an adult or whatever it may be that's not actually true and so people can have a fear of even getting started asking questions for that reason Another reason, though, that people can be afraid is because they're told that investigating their faith is against them having faith. And so let me break that down in a different way. If I am told in my religious group that me asking questions is a sign of me not believing the truth. And it's a sign that I'm actually not of God. I'm actually not one of the chosen people. Um, I am a sinner and I just, I shouldn't have to ask questions. I should just know and I should just believe. And so if I investigate my faith just in and of itself, just by investigating my faith on its own, I'm damned to hell. So that's another fear that comes up. Um, I'm actually going to add a third one. And it's it's kind of like a step removed. But there's also this fear of investigating because whatever I find out is going to have consequences. Now, if I'm going to investigate my faith, I'm probably doing it for a reason. You know, I'm wondering about something. And so what if I find out, you know, whatever I've been taught that is troublesome is true, and then I have to deal with it. Most often, it's going to be the other side. If I find out that what I believe is not true, my whole life is going to change. And especially when we're talking about religiously abusive situations, we're talking really extreme changes like excommunication, um, loss of family, loss of friends, loss of jobs, 
um, loss of hope in a lot of ways for that time being. And so Lemon, I'm so excited to have you here for our first episode with just you and I. And I think based on the schedule, um, for everyone listening, I mean, people, you know, we record these in advance, um, but this is going to be the first one that releases after you share your story. So this is our first episode going out there across the airwaves of just you and I. Um, so thank you so much for partnering with me on this. I don't want to hear myself talk the whole time. And Lemon, you bring so much to the table. And I'm just, I'm really excited about it. So what do you, what comes to your mind initially when we say just the title of this topic, fear of investigating your faith? Oh my gosh. So first of all, I'm super excited to do this with you. I can't believe this is like the, the first one that's going to air because this is, this feels very personal to me. Um, mm. I was in a group that the, the mantra was doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. And so for me, there was, it was very much the, if you are questioning, then you are not a true believer situation. Um, and so there was this and right. And so then that's tied to your, to your worthiness and your ability to, to go and perform certain rituals that you can, and without those certain rituals, you can't go to heaven and God's not going to see you as a worthy individual. And so there was a lot of, there was, there's just a lot of, like weight behind investigating your faith. And we were strongly encouraged to never read anything that wasn't from the official church website. Don't read any books. Don't listen to any talks. Don't listen to anything that doesn't come directly from the church. Um, and that, you know, we weren't, we, I mean, part of our, our interview process every two years was, I mean, do you read outside literature? Do you associate with people outside of the church? Um, and so they really wanted to keep the information super contained. And so, yeah, so there was, for me, there was definitely just a lot of weight behind fear of investigating your faith because it did, it did translate into an unworthiness in your, in your relationship to God. Yeah. It's so interesting because when, when I think of that scenario, I kind of wonder who's really afraid and it, maybe the people who are um, instituting this policy, maybe they're not afraid um, of you finding out that it's not true because maybe they really believe it. I mean, they may themselves believe we're just not supposed to question. Um, again, people can believe their the indoctrination that has come before them as well. And so it may be that they're trying to cover up for something and they just want to fully limit what's going to come into you your own head because they're like, we don't, we don't want you to learn this stuff because then you're going to have questions because we know that this is going to fall apart. Like we know this worldview will fall apart. It's not going to stand up to solid critical thinking and healthy criticism. Um, and so we want to limit that. And there are certainly cults, especially that do exactly that. And it's very intentional, but there are cults and other religious groups that wouldn't fall into a cult criteria um, where they they genuinely just believe that. It's like kind of this idea of renewing your mind that we read in scripture, but totally taken out of context. So yeah. I've I've heard that used. Have you heard that used in this way of like renew your mind as in just don't let anything else in. Like just listen to this, just read this and don't don't pay attention to anything else outside of this because you're supposed to stay focused on the truth and on this and that's it. Yeah, exactly. And it was and it was 
used in in my group anyway. Like all of the anti-group literature was used as a way to validate the group's existence. And they would say, well, look at how much the adversary is working against us. You know, oh, yeah. look at how look at how many sites and books and, you know, talks and podcasts and all these things are out to destroy us because so don't listen to them, but take them as proof that what we're saying is the truth. And and I bought it, you know, hook, line and sinker. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that. I'm, yeah, of course. You know, nowhere in my critical thinking brain was I like, huh, there's a reason there's so many of these out there. Yeah, that idea of like, oh, we're being persecuted. So it means we're doing something right. And it's like, persecution isn't an indicator. Um, It's not like a litmus test of you're doing something right. Um, Persecution can can happen in any direction, just depending on the opposite person's beliefs. So yeah, that's not this litmus test of like, okay, we're doing something right, because we're being persecuted. I mean, people could, people could look back at different world wars and be like, well, there was a counterattack. So now the bad guys are being persecuted. So that must mean they were actually right. It's like, that just right. that argument falls apart really quickly. It's just not a solid argument. In my experience, personally growing up, it wasn't that I wasn't allowed to ask questions. I was in such a, um, a tense environment um, where I was so afraid to speak for fear of retaliation, you know, physical abuse that I didn't really ask questions. And I, I didn't say a whole lot, um, especially of my dad. Now that wasn't the case with my mom. Like I could ask my mom questions, but I just wasn't raised as someone to be asking questions in the home, which is really yeah. interesting because I absolutely was in public school. Um, not only typical public school, but in first grade, I was put into an advanced standing program that went from first through sixth grade for high-performing students. And it was awesome that my parents allowed me to be in it. Part of it was I was getting in so much, you know, I was just getting into trouble in school because I was bored. And so they probably just didn't want to deal with that. And so I don't mean that in a bad way. My mom worked for the school and it just, it doesn't look good when you work for the school and your kids just acting out. Um, and so I got put in this, this advanced program. And in that program, the focus from first through sixth grade, so we're talking like what, six to whatever years old, six to 12 or something like that. Um, So very formative years for your brain. It was totally focused on excellent critical thinking skills. Um, And so that's all we did was we were doing stuff to think creatively, to critically think, to brainstorm, to think outside of the box, to problem solve. And so these skills were, I mean, I I truly credit that program with a, a lot of my thinking as I exited the cult that I had gained those skills at such a young age that later on, once the fear um, started to subside, I knew how to actually engage my questions. Like I knew how to do it, but I never carried that over into my home because again, my home, I, I was scared there straight up. I was just scared when my dad was around. Um, but there was also this, I don't know, it wasn't necessarily directly stated. I mean, everyone, eh, even in a friendship relationship, there can be these like under the radar messages that get sent, you know, where they're not just directly stated. And so there was this culture of if you ask questions, it's a sign that you're less spiritual because like you should already know, like you should just know, like the Holy Spirit should have just told you. And so if you have to ask, you're just not as spiritual. Um, And I knew I can think of someone who, um, 
was super important in my life growing up and an older woman, um, who ha- I remember her saying like, I'm just not as spiritual as these other people who aren't asking questions. I'm not as spiritually minded as them. Um, and so, and that was kind of perpetuated of if you're asking, you don't, you're just not at the same level. Um, and so pride could come into play for that, you know, of like, well, I don't want to look like I don't get it. So I'm just going to fake it. Yeah, that is, um, Oh, that brings up just so much thinking about um, my own experience and how much I, I relate to that because we were we were encouraged and it was done in a public forum. You would you would be asked by your bishopric, you know, or told that you had a calling from God to serve in some capacity, and then they would tell, announce it to the church if you accepted it. And of course, it was made to be a big deal if you rejected that calling because um, it was a direct rejection of God, and you know how dare you kind of know more than God. Um, Mm -hmm. But they would, every single time they would put, you know, somebody up for a vote, they would encourage people to, you know, so you voted yes. And, and and I would say 90% of the time people, you know, unanimously voted yes. Um, But the next question would be, you know, if there's a reason this person should not have this calling, you know, we encourage you to raise your hand. And people would raise their hand. They'd go meet with the bishopric and we would, they would rat each other out and say, well, I know that they're, you know, questioning this or they're having an issue with this, or, you know, they, they confided in me that they're struggling in this area with their faith. And so therefore I don't think they can serve in this capacity. And it was like, Mm. you're, you're, it was almost like weaponized against you. Um, Yeah. And so you, you couldn't talk to people. You couldn't trust anybody really in the community because you never knew when somebody was going to take that and use it to like withhold, you know, this calling from God from you or, you know, take away your temple recommend or, you know, something like that. And so we were policing each other and, and our spirituality um, constantly. Gosh. Yeah, absolutely. This idea of, yeah, consequences. Like you're going to have these negative consequences um, for asking a question. And I can't help but see that as the leadership sees the question as threatening in some way, like threatening to their power, threatening to their authority. And so they're responding in a way to shut you up. I mean, the point is for you to shut up, fall in line, conform, and do what you're supposed to do. And I've, gosh, I mean, certain groups come to mind right out of the gate. Um, And again, we try not to mention specific groups on this podcast or with our organization in general, because there's such an overlap between them. Um, And I never want someone to hear a group name and be like, oh, that's not my group name. It doesn't relate when, no, it really probably does. So we tend to just leave leave names out. Um, But certain groups definitely pop to mind where it is a direct rebellion to the leadership and therefore to the Godhead um, because leadership and the Godhead are considered, you know, so hand in hand that they're not really able to be separated. Um, Their relationship is so close. And so if you separate, but it's seen as, Oh, I'm, I'm in, this person's in rebellion by having questions. Um, So now they're a threat and we absolutely have to silence them. And so in some extreme scenarios, even questions can get someone put on the uh, crap list. I almost said the other yeah. one. Um, can get a put on the crap list. Um, and it's it can be hard to get off that list. 
Yeah. There's, um, I remember like, uh, my girlfriend's brother, you know, people, people policed his behavior and his spirituality and things. And so like they said, he wasn't worthy of holding the priesthood that he held. And so therefore he couldn't go out and, and act in God's name. And he couldn't, you know, go and do these things and, you know, pull this temple recommend and all of these things. And it was completely based on really your ability to shut up and conform and do what you're told because it is, I, I remember this experience with my husband asking questions that leadership didn't like, you know, pointing out things like it, if you guys have listened to my story, you know, that he came from like this pagan and um, studied like satanic worldviews. And so when he would ask questions because he could see the similarities, I mean, they immediately I mean, shut him down, um, you know, and they, if they worked really hard to, to try to shift his mindset and, you know, they're the ones with this huge perspective They're you know, their worldview is correct. And it was, it was so interesting just to see how him bringing in this other worldview and seeing the similarities and how very quickly they tried to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it's, it's a threat. You're a threat mm-hmm. if you're asking questions. I mean, one, if you're asking a really good question in a religiously abusive environment, they probably don't have a really good answer. So I'm just going to answer that on their behalf, which they probably wouldn't appreciate, but they don't have a really good answer. And that's part of the problem is like, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, I had this happen in sixth grade. I was in a science class in sixth grade in public school. That was not going to go well for me right out of the gate. Um, But I was asking questions um, about evolution which were fair questions. They were good, critical thought questions. Um, And I finally like asked one too many and the teacher just got mad and I got in trouble in this public Mm. school mainstream classroom because I was asking questions like I really didn't understand it. Um, And of course I had been raised that that wasn't true. And I certainly have my opinions about, or not opinions, but you know, we can have a different episode on the scientific facts. Um, in regards to evolution. But in this scenario, you know, of course, questioning evolution is frowned upon in a public school. Um, And we should be able to ask questions anywhere we go, you know, it should always be welcomed. Unfortunately, um, this teacher got really mad. And I think it was taken as you're, you already have a view and you're trying to undermine me or something like that. And it's like, no, I'm a kid. I'm like 12 years old. And I'm just asking questions um, in an environment that should have been safe to do so. But in seeing that response, like I could still see his face, you know, I could see the expression on his face and how, you know, he was one of those faces where it got kind of red and, you know, that idea of like smoke coming out of his ears or steam coming out of his ears. Yeah. Um, and it was threatening to him. And ultimately he didn't have an answer for me. And that was really, that was scary for me as a kid. Um, And so even thinking as someone who's older, where they've been indoctrinated into whatever belief system their whole lives, it's really scary to have someone give you the impression of you're out of line and I have power over what your life is going to look like moving forward. And so it's really, really scary. And it is, it's a, it's a real threat to people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That it just like it just makes me think about if something is true then questions like shouldn't be scary right and it should be able to hold up to scrutiny and they should be welcomed 
right? They should be encouraged. And, and I do think it's exactly what you said. It's like a pride thing, right? Nobody wants to look Mm -hmm. foolish. Nobody wants to look like they don't have the answers. Nobody wants to feel like their, you know, whatever perceived power they have is being, you know, questioned. And that is super, oh my gosh, I'm sorry you had that experience. I think it's so interesting how we can have these experiences and they stick with us, right? Like we are not, we're not spring chickens. And yet this <laughs> one moment from sixth grade, you know, resonates and has a profound effect on the way that we, we view um, the world and how people respond to questioning authority. And it doesn't have to just be in a, an abusive religious situation, right? It could be, we can see that behavior anywhere. Yes. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, part of what made it stick with me was that was an environment where I could ask questions. You know, that that was my safe place to be able to think well versus at home just having to go on aut- autopilot and just like be a robot and just do what I was told to do and try to stay out of the way and try to be quiet. Um, so that was like my safe space. I think that's, you know, partially why it stands out was because my safe place to engage in intellectual conversation um, was shut down. And that scenario, it wasn't across the board by any means. Um, I had a really good experience overall in public school, um, despite my differences, but that that does stick with me. And I think part of what I want to go back to actually um, what you said about pride, because I was totally in the back of my mind um, as you were talking before you said it, there, there is definitely a sense of pride that has to go with not wanting to be questioned. Um, That power trip, I'm an authority. And not only that, not only do I want the control and the power, but I also don't want to potentially look like I don't know something like in and here's the truth though you guys not knowing something doesn't mean that you're stupid it doesn't mean that you're unintelligent uneducated ill-equipped for your role not knowing the answer to something is human like we don't all know everything there's no one here on earth right now however wise they are that knows everything and so There's something to look for in people's character when you're asking them questions. Someone who is has a well-developed character is okay saying, I don't know, but I could try to find out for you. Or I don't know, but I don't even know how to find out. Maybe we can figure it out together. Um, Or maybe go ask this person. I think maybe they know more about that area than I do. Um, That humility and that comfort is so important when you're assessing leadership. Your leadership should be comfortable saying, I'm not really sure, but let's try to find out. Yes. I think that's, that's really important. I know that's like a, an approach I take with my kids is, yeah, you know, they ask me all kinds of questions all the time. Right. And I have no clue. And so (laughs) I'm like, I have no idea what you are asking me. And so I'm like, there's a, there's a whole great, wide internet that we can go and search and let me show you how to find quality resources to look at, even though they're eight and nine and developing that critical thinking skill. And, you know, I tell my kids all the time, I'm raising you to be a skeptic. I want you to ask questions. I want you to, to make sure that the information you're getting is true and check the source of where the information comes from and not be afraid to ask questions. I don't want them to take everything that I say, their dad says, you know, whoever says with face value because of the situation that I've come from. And so, yeah, there is this, I always, I always find it interesting, this, um, 
this like prideful aspect of like these situations and the leadership, right? Because there's mm-hmm. no way you could possibly know anything. And I know like in my situation, and this was something I discovered only recently, like uh, like in the last 18 months or so, um, that there's this special place that I've learned in our temple called like the Holy of Holies. And one of the missionaries is said to said to us like, oh yeah, you know, like our our prophet just, you know, meets with God and, and Jesus and stuff in the Holy of Holies. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, you know, how do, how do you think he gets like revelation for the whole church? You know, like he's just in there communicating with God on a regular basis, like in a face-to-face situation. And that's why you can trust what he says to you. And I, and I was already out at that point And I was just like, do you, he- do you hear what you're saying? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a verse like about Moses, you know, not being able to look at um, God directly and things. And so. Right. Even Moses only saw the back of him. Right. Right. So I'm like, this is, um, it was just super interesting that there's like this, like superiority complex amongst church leadership. And it's like, you know, I am specially appointed by God to have these communications on your behalf and therefore you have to trust everything that I say. Wow. Yeah. And in those scenarios, it's it's really hard because when we really believe something and we have been taught to believe something and be a part of something, um, especially for a, an extended period of time, we're just we're not mentally clear and separated enough and you know, unbiased enough to really think. Hmm, maybe, maybe that's off. I don't know who he's really in there with. Like, let's be really honest. He, he could be in there with someone else and be having an affair for all we know. I mean, we literally have no idea what is happening. Mechanic. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he could be in there. Say you're not allowed to have television. It could be just set up with a TV because it could be like, you can't go in the Holy of Holies or you're going to die. Yeah. And so, He's just in there, yeah, eating grapes and bonbons and and watching R-rated films. I mean, you really, I mean, and you guys, I mean, we say it kind of funny, but like, we really don't know. We really don't know what's going on. And we're not living in the Old Testament anymore. The New Testament happened. And so we can't try to mimic a, a culture and a time period that we're no longer in. I mean, we're we're here now. So why are we here now? And and what do we do with that? Um, we can't pretend that we're in a different time when we're not in a different time. Um, it's just it's it doesn't work. It's ineffective, and ultimately, a lot of really really bad things happen. I mean, there are oh gosh. I mean, Lemon, you know this. You were watched, we were texting last night about different documentaries. Um, you were watching some documentaries, and I'm adding some to my list that I haven't seen yet. And there's just so many horror stories of the truth of what's going on in situations like this, where people are just covering up for themselves with this idea that they're holy and they're closer to God. And I want to make sure I connect this back to our people who are not necessarily in a cult group. Again, when you're in a mainstream church situation, this still applies to you. If this is just happening in a, with a different look, 
You know, it just has like a different outfit on. Um, but it's the same concept. It's the same idea where you have leaders who are not wanting to be questioned, who are telling you, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it looks like. I speak on behalf of God. I'm his mouthpiece. I have that authority. And you're serving an insane number of hours to the point where you're volunteering and you can't even pay your bills because you're not making enough money. Or um, you're putting, being put through this ridiculous... Um, repentance experience um, that is just unreasonable and completely devastating um, to your walk at that time. I mean, there's just, there's so many ways that this, this can come across. You find out that people are being abused um, often, you know, sexually or otherwise. And so you don't have to be in a cult for this to happen. Um, You can be in a mainstream church experience and have this happen where you're being told not to investigate, you're being told not to ask questions, but to believe, or you're risking something. You're either risking your salvation, which is oftentimes the case, and or you're risking other parts of your life here on earth, like your family, your church community. Um, If your job is tied to someone who works in that faith community, your job could be at stake. There's a lot that can be at risk. Again, if we go into a more extreme group, you might be kicked out and you actually lose your your spouse and your children so right it could be homeless there's yeah yes so i mean there's just this whole spectrum of what this looks like but at the end of the day lemon i want to bring in like if we go back to the bible we go back to scripture what does god actually tell us about investigating our faith right there's i feel like god just gives us so much he tells us to investigate our faith right he tells us you know jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Like, we're, we're supposed to investigate our faith. Um, and I think that really speaks to just the power of God, right? And he is so sure in, in who he is and whatever discoveries um, may happen here on, on earth. And, right, he knows where the science is going to go. He knows where, you know, all these things are going to go. And so encourages us to, to seek and to investigate and to ask questions. And I think that that to me gives me almost like more trust and faith in him than anything else does. I love too in Matthew twenty two thirty seven and Luke 10, 27, it says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. So it's not only mind, but mind is included. And how do we love God with our minds if we don't seek to truly know him and know the truth of who he is? And in 1 Peter 3.15, we're told, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So what is being said there is be able to give an answer to questions that you receive, be able to explain and give the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Um, And leaders who are not living this out, who aren't welcoming your questions and wanting to give you the reason, um, who aren't teaching and encouraging you to love God with your mind as well. um, Those are flags to be concerned with. And I would go as far as to say, if leaders aren't encouraging this, um, I mean, they have a responsibility to, 
I would put it that way. They have a responsibility to encourage people to be investigating um, and to really know what they believe and why they believe it. And us as individuals, we have a responsibility to take that on for ourselves and to ask those questions and to investigate. Because if we don't, we're at a greater risk of becoming involved in something that is abusive or cultic because we aren't equipped to recognize the red flags. Like we haven't equipped ourselves. And so even if you've been victimized already, you have an increased chance of being re-victimized a second or third time um, by not asking those questions and and filling in that information in between um, your religious experiences. And so it's not just this response. It's not a responsibility of, well, I just have to, to check a religious box. It's for your safety, It's for your protection to be asking questions and to be investigating, because if you don't, then you could just be told anything and your life can be dictated in such a way that you would have never wanted it to be. You're living a life that isn't really your own and not what you would have chosen for it to look like. And you may wake up one day and find out that it was all actually a fraud and you never even had to. And I can say from personal experience in Lemon, please chime in, that is an awful feeling. It is, it is a terrible feeling to wake up and, and to, to realize that everything you've believed, everything you've done, the money you've spent, all of these things, that, you know, the, the entire way that you've lived your life has been based on a lie. And it's, there's, there's so many emotions that come up with that, right? It's, there's shame, there's guilt, there's this, I know for me, right, I just felt really dumb, um, mm-hmm. you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't raised that way. And so I didn't. I didn't start my life with this sort of like indoctrination. And so me, I like willingly walked right into it. And so for me, it, I just felt very dumb. And it took me a long time to get over that and to realize that I'm not dumb, but that it was like you said, I was ill-equipped, right? Because I didn't have the strong foundation. And um, I think it's, I think it really speaks to just how loving, you know, God is that he, he puts us in here, you know, he gives us this advice, right? Or this commandment as a way to protect us, right? Because without this, mm-hmm. then it's, it's very easy to fall for, for any sort of lie. And that was my experience. I didn't know any better and I didn't know to question it. And so it was really easy for me to walk right into a cult because mm-hmm. I didn't have that foundation. And we're told that there are wolves out there in sheep's clothing, which means there are people who are coming across like they're wonderful and they have so much to give and they have such good hearts and um, they just want to serve. But in reality, they don't. They want to eat you up and spit you out. Um, They want to take advantage for their own personal gain. They have an agenda. They have something they want and they want to exploit you in one way or another in order to get it met. And I just recently, um, actually, the class I did this past fall semester that just wrapped up, um, I did a study of the major and minor prophets in the Old Testament and created a spreadsheet of every accusation made to a king, a priest, or a prophet as being a a terrible leader um, and having led the people Mm -hmm. astray. There are so many... (laughs) There are so many. And then I wrote a paper um, off of that, which I'll probably put out on, you know, or if you or if you want to email me if someone wants it. Um, it was a really disheartening, um, in ways, assignment to do 
project to take on. At the same time, there was always hope and always redemption. Like God was always speaking hope and redemption. And I was really struck by that as well. Like there just seemed to be such this contrast between the awfulness that was going on and what what was happening to the people because of it versus, but it's not going to stay this way. Like God's going to step in. And we see it so many times in the New Testament as well, where again, the, the wolves and sheep's closing, the beware of false teachers and false prophets who, you know, they're they're going to try to trick you. Um, and so we're educated on this in scripture. Um, and it's been happening forever. And it's going to continue to happen. And so we have to learn from that and equip ourselves to be able to recognize when something's not true. And it's it's so awful that we have to. And I just want to say that it probably sounds really naive, but I'm like, a, a col- a, an 18 year old going off to college shouldn't have to be worried about being um, recruited when they when they go to college. Um, a, a young adult getting involved in a college ministry or getting involved in their church young adult ministry shouldn't have to worry about being religiously abused. I mean, these are things that people shouldn't, a new Christian at any age, say in their 50s, who's like, okay, I'm going to pick a church now, shouldn't have to be concerned about walking into a church that's going to harm them. It's the truth, though. It's something that is real and it's out there. And that is where this organization comes in and, and other people who are out there doing incredible work, just trying to help open your eyes to what is true, what is real, um, what are the red flags, what are you looking out for, and how do you use that in your decisions moving forward? And so I want to take us back to what if you do investigate your faith, and then you find out that you are in something problematic. You are in an unhealthy situation. Um, you're in a religiously abusive situation. You feel like you meet this full-on cult criteria and you're like, I've got to get out. The fear, that third fear that I mentioned, Lemon, is that fear of, well, if I find that out, then I, what am I going to do with that information? Like my whole life is going to change. Yeah, I have... Um... It's really interesting because I actually was just talking to somebody this morning um, who has been, she reached out because she has realized that the situation she is in is unhealthy and um, she's married to somebody who was raised in this group and it has caused, you know, a ton of turmoil in her family. And she's like, I don't, I don't even know what to do anymore. You know, because I can't unsee hmm. what I've seen and I can't unlearn and I can't, I can't go back into the box that they want me to go back into. And so it's, and I've, and I've talked to other people before where I'm like, do, like, if it wasn't true, would you want to know? Mm-hmm. And that, and it, and it, if you're listening, you know, naturally you want to say, yes, of course I would want to know. Of course I would want to know it's, it's not true, but then when you sit with the weight of what that means, that it's not true, I've had people tell me, no, I, I wouldn't want to know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to know because I, it's the, the consequences of knowing the truth are, are too, too unfathomable to think about. And the, the journey that I know that I would have to walk to come out on the other side seems too hard. And mm-hmm. it's easier to just stay in this situation, right? I think about, um, you know, people who've been in 
um, like domestic violence situations, right? And right. people say all the time, like, how do you, why didn't you leave sooner? Uh, why didn't you, uh, my, ex, my ex-husband was this way. And so they're like, why didn't you walk away sooner? Why didn't you, what, why did it take years to leave? And it's like, well, this is what I know, you know, and it's easier to, to stay and try, try to avoid some of the problematic pieces of this relationship than it is to leave and start over. Now, of course, coming out on the other side, I can say it's, you know, a hundred, hundred times worth it. Um, but it is scary. It's scary to take that step and it's okay. I think it's okay to be afraid to take that first step to get help and to try to try to get yourself out, try to find resources, right? Listening to podcasts like this, reaching out to people who can help. Like it's okay to be afraid of, of that next step because it's an unknown, um, and being, being okay with this is a hard thing. And, um, but then being willing to, to take a step to even a baby step, right. Mm -hmm. Being willing to take some sort of baby step to, to unattach yourself and, and to unlearn the the things that you've learned. And, you know, I mean, everybody's situation is so unique, but it's, it's so hard once, once you've seen the truth, you can't unsee it. You can't, you can't unsee it. And it's very important when we're having this conversation of questions, asking questions, investigating your fear, your faith, the fear associated with it, to remember that it's good to ask yourself questions too as you go through this process. The first question to ask yourself before you take it on is, do I want to do this and do I want to know the answer? And as you go through it, continue to ask yourself questions. Okay, how am I feeling about this? How am I doing with this? What does this mean for me? Um, Do I want to keep going? You know, there's there's personal choice in all of this. And of course, we, we would want to encourage you to ask those questions and to get answers. But we also understand the the weight of what you're going through because we've both lived it in our own ways. And it's not easy. It's, oh my gosh. I, I thought it was the hardest thing I had ever done, Lemon. And then I went public and I'm like, ooh, yeah. that compares. I don't know. I'm actually not sure which was harder, to be honest. Um, reflecting back, they might've been really like neck and neck in that race, but it is an incredibly, incredibly hard thing to do. And there are real consequences at, at any stage, at any point on the spectrum. Um, there are consequences. And people get, oh gosh, all kinds of awful things happen. I mean, people get not only shunned, but they can get blasted from the pulpit. There's public shaming. There's all kinds of things that can happen. And what I've told people is that as you get further removed on the other side of your experience, you'll likely realize that those people that treated you that way aren't people whose affirmation you want anyway, because you find you don't actually respect their opinion. And not in a hateful way. You know, you can still love them. You could still care for them. You could still be praying for them to see the truth and come out. But you don't actually want that person where they're currently at in their life to be saying, well done, (laughs) because that's just not an an affirmation that you want from that direction. Um, But these, these consequences, yeah, they're hard. There can be a lot of fallout. And I really encourage people to know their why, to know why that 
why they are investigating, why they are doing this, um, why they are taking that step um, to make an exit of whatever their situation may be. And if possible, if it's safe to, to actually write it down because there's days where going back and reading that may serve you because you might be like, why am I doing this? Why am I taking this on? You know, are you doing it because that you hold the truth at the highest value and that's your reason? Um, are you doing it because you have concerns for other people and their safety um, maybe your own children that you're going to raise in this church otherwise, and you're concerned about their future if you stay. Write that down. Um, I also really encourage people to find resources, of course, like this, so that you have you have that feeling of support, but also reach out to people. Um, reach out to, to us. Reach out to um, any of the resources that that you come across. I mean, there's so many um, people out there that are doing different kinds of work. Um, people know that I've done a podcast with John Collins. Um, we're doing special projects together. Um, he is certainly a resource to reach out to. So um, we'll go ahead and link a few in the show notes just to get you started. But I think it's it's so helpful to remember that while you may be leaving what you know as your community now, there is a future community out there waiting for you. And so starting to connect with that future community can really help to hold you up during the hardest times in this process. Yeah, that is, that is really important. Just that it is worth it. And I feel like I have found an even stronger community on the other side, which I didn't think was possible given how strong the community aspect was in my group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the community on the other side has been very encouraging and incredibly supportive. You know, there's just a whole group of people who really truly understand and want to just love on you and support you through the transition. And so if you are fearful of leaving that community and things, there are there is a whole other world on the other side of people who just want to support you and love you through the hard days because there will be hard days but it's worth it i i i think it's worth it and i found a real god with real unimaginable love and i found forgiveness and i found grace and i found strength and i found peace and i found all of these things that i never really knew even when I thought I knew what they were, I realized that they they were so much better. Um, they ran so much deeper. They were so much whole. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but they're just this this totality of them. Like they're they're overwhelming. I mean, God's grace is overwhelming. His love is overwhelming. Um, his His justice is overwhelming. It's just He's incredible to get to know for real and that that's worth all of it. <laughs> he he's worth all of it um in my life and not everyone listening to this um is is christian or identifies in any form of christianity or form of christian faith and so um i offer that to you from from what i have experienced in my own life is that it's real and it doesn't go away. You know, he's real and he doesn't leave. Again, like you had quoted already lemon in Jeremiah 29:13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all my heart. And so for those of you who maybe are fearful that as you start to investigate, if you are investigating um 
Christianity and you're afraid, well, what if I find out God doesn't exist at all? What do I do with that? If God is real, you're going to find him. And so there's no need to be afraid of that, whether it's through the sciences, like the fine tuning of the universe, um, the confirmed evidence that proves a start to the universe and an eventual end, um, the, the genuine lack of scientific evidence for macroevolution, um, you're gonna you're gonna find him. Um, and so you don't have to be afraid of that. And in all honesty, if God isn't real, wouldn't you want to find that out anyway? You would. You would want to know. And that's I I've I had to like really come to that that place too where, you know, I had to Right, because it, like I said, I was raised in an anti-religious space and then ended up in a cult. And then it was like, okay, now I have to reconstruct what I know about God, like deconstruct and then reconstruct what I know about God. And so I did have to do a ton of investigative work and it was it was scary, right? Because then it was like, well, what if, you know, my family was right all along, there is no God. And, you know, now I've wasted again another few years of my life. And mm-hmm. like I said earlier, there is... Um, I promise he he is real and you will never go wrong investigating your faith. I think that's, that's the big takeaway. I think is that investigating your faith is never a bad idea because if it's true, it will hold up to the investigation. And if it's not, wouldn't you want to know? And I think I have to add, I know some people that, that wouldn't kind of like you've said, you know, you mentioned that too. And there can be differences in personalities and things like that. You know, Lemon and I clicked because we have things like this in common and not everyone is is going to be on the same page. And so I, I want to speak to that. And that is why I said, know your why, know what the potential consequences would be and know, know that you're at the end of the day, as not okay as it may be, you're okay with that because it's worth it to you. It is a personal choice. It's a decision to make um, because if you discover something that you have been building your life around and living your life based on, if you find out that it's off and there's something wrong with it, that is going to be impactful in one way or another. And so that is something that you get to choose if you want to find that out or not. Thank you.